0: Read this week of a New York Times reporter by the name of uh, Nicholas Christoph. and he he set out with a an important task. His his goal was to try to shed light on uh, the plight of victims of human trafficking, and to do that, uh, he was in Cam- Cambodia and had money by which he was to negotiate the release of uh, two young women that uh, he met. They were women who were being held against their will, and wanted their freedom, and they were willing to tell their story. Uh, the negotiation for the, uh, for the first person, a woman by the name of Sre Nath, was very simple. Uh, for $150, he was able to free her. But with the second woman, uh, by the name of Sre Mom, it was more difficult. With Sre Mom, the, the negotiation was more difficult, the, uh, the brothel owner... Uh, negotiated and and was more stubborn with the price. But for $203, he agreed to release her. But it was what what happened after that agreement that was reached that caused the frustration and difficulty. Because it was at that point that Sreya Mom uh, told uh, Christoph, the reporter, that she had uh, pawned her cell phone for $55 cell phone and didn't want to leave without it. And at th- that point, he explained to her, like, look, I'm, I'm offering you your freedom. It is a $55 cell phone. Just forget it and let's go. And she resisted. He said, no, this is a, this is a decision between your freedom and your cell phone. You, you really need to decide what you're going to do. At which point, she burst out in tears, ran back to her tiny room in the brothel, and began sobbing. At that point, there were her friends. The other prostitutes began pleading with her, trying to reason with her. Like, this is your freedom. This is an opportunity to, to get out of here. You've talked about this. You've wanted this. Even the brothel owner tried to talk sense into her and explain to her how a chance like this doesn't, doesn't come. And yet, she still clung to uh, this hope of having her cell phone. Eventually, Christoph relented and offered to pay the $55 as well to to have her cell phone released. At that point, she told him that she had also pawned her jewelry and couldn't bear to leave without it, Uh, couldn't couldn't bear to have that uh, hel- held, held back against her, and he finally agreed to pay that as well. But as he did so, he did so with mixed feelings. Because he said, for someone to have traded away their freedom so easily for such a uh, thing of such insignificance, he feared that she would very likely end back in that slavery again. I guess when I think of Sre Mom and as I hear her story, I can't help but think that some of the dynamics in her life are very similar to people who hover around the, uh, that place of decision, that place of uh, commitment, and, and that place of freedom that Jesus calls us to. They get close to it, they are interested in it, they want it, it it is attractive to them. But there's something that holds them back from actually moving across that line and receiving it for themselves. Something that, that keeps them from walking into the freedom that Jesus invites us to, the freedom that Jesus died to make possible for us. I don't know what that might be in your life. I don't know whether that's you or, or maybe it's not. But we're in a series on revival, and, and what we've been doing is been traveling back in time to a revival that took place in ancient Israel. It's, uh, it, it, it happened under a king named Josiah that most of us just know is that, that, that boy who was eight years old who became king. But in fact, the, the reforms that took place under his leadership were unparalleled. Nothing like this had ever quite happened before in terms of the extent and the, 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 the depth that they went. Today's passage gives us a picture of what it means to get off the fence when we, are, when we have been straddling that fence between uh, commitment and the life of freedom that Jesus offers us and whatever that other thing is that, that causes us to sit on the fence to, that keeps us from commitment. It keeps us from following Jesus where He leads. If you have your Bible I want to encourage you to turn with me uh, there, we're in Second Kings chapter 23. I'll read from verses one to 11. And your pew Bible in front of you it's on page 307. Second Kings 23 verses 1 to 11. Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests, and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments, and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in that covenant. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priests of the second order, and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. And he deposed the priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places of the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem, those also who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon and the constellations and all the host of the heavens. And he brought out, brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and he burned it at the, at the brook Kidron and beat it to dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. And he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the Asherah. And he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had made offerings from Geba to Beersheba. And he broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on one's left at the gate of the city. However, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brothers. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnon, that no one might burn his son or his daughter as an offering to Moloch. And he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the son at the entrance to the house of the Lord, by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the chamberlain, which was in the precincts. And he, bur- and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. This is the word of God. Now, this passage gives us three things that we can do to avoid straddling the fence in our relationship with God, when we're in that place between freedom that he offers and those things that would otherwise hold us back. Because if we're never clear on what's, what it is that God wants and what it is that he calls us to, if we never draw a line and, and define what, it, what that is and what's out of bounds, then we always just... To hover around the Christian life. We waffle in, uh, our, uh, in, our, in our commitments instead of standing firm with him. So we need to choose a side between faithfulness and compromise. Define what that is and make our uh, commitment clear. Last week, we saw in chapter two how a, a, a discovery had taken place. They had, they had found a forgotten copy of the scriptures, most likely the book of Deuteronomy. And after finding it, King jo- Josiah had responded to it amazingly. He had repented before the Lord and, and put his trust in Him and received, received the Lord's mercy. He had received this, this great promise of uh, God's protection and peace. So, this chapter isn't about how you get God's acceptance. This isn't how you get God to love you. Uh, This is not about how you get God's grace. Because uh, in the the last chapter, we see God had already promised that to Josiah. This is how you respond to that grace. This is how you respond to the love of God in your life. When you have heard from him, you have experienced uh, his, his goodness and love, how do you then respond? Well, King Josiah shows us how he responds. In verse 1, he gathers the elders of the land. Then in verse 2, he leads them together with the people to the temple. And so as as this chapter is opening, there's this, we're to picture the temple scene, the king standing in front of his people, and elders and leaders gathered, but then just crowds of, of people from all of the tribes gathered behind them. With the nation gathered, verse 2 says, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. You can imagine if under a previous king, and he had some 52-year rule, they had not been hearing the scriptures for most of their lifetime. So as they hear them, they are moved. And, and King Josiah, he's, he's, we've already seen in the last chapter, he had the, the words of this law writ, read to him, But he knows that if the nation is to be made right with the Lord, they're going to have to not only make some changes, but they're going to have to know that those changes come from God's word, not from King Josiah. So he reads to them the word. And and he he is eager for them to be changed by that word. But they're gathered, they hear it. And this is unfortunately where most people stop. They hear the word, they like the word, they're interested by the word, but they don't go any farther than that. They just listen to the words. But I want you to watch what happens next. In verse 3 it says, a king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul. He's not just listening to the word, he is Responding to it and responding to it by drawing a line in the sand and to say, "This is what this is the Lord's side. This is what the Lord wants." And after having drawn that line, he firmly commits himself to the Lord's side. He gives himself with commit, conviction and promises himself to the Lord. Now, at that point, some of you may say, "This is crazy. Like the the, the things that he is saying to the Lord." They're they're impossible. This is this is too far. It's too much. Maybe you're seeing these words where he he's he's committing himself to keep the commandments and the testimony and statutes with all his heart and all his soul. Isn't that impossible? Isn't he going to fail? And you would be right. He he will fail, and it is in one sense impossible. But by deciding once and for all, this is the Lord's side and I will stand on it. He knows that when he falls, when he stumbles, when he falls short of that standard that he has committed himself to, he knows that he will stand up and he will walk in that direction again. He knows that no matter how many times sin and temptation comes into his life, he will not be shaken from this life direction that he has given himself to. And he will not waver in his understanding of what that life direction is. He will stand on the Lord's side. He will give himself to him, heart and soul, as an act and a response of, uh, of, of, of love and gratefulness for all that he's done for him. I wonder whether that's the kind of thing that you do. I wonder whether this is how you understand the Christian life. I, I sit and I listen to the word of God and then I respond in commitment. That I, m- I make decisions based on what I hear from the word of God. I wonder if that's who you are or, or whether you just like to do what they did in verse two where they gathers everyone together, they read the word and they go home unchanged. Uh, go home without having made any decisions, not having made any commitments. I know that many people struggle in this area of commitment because it's a problem in our society. Commitment is, is not popular if you hadn't known, uh, if you hadn't seen or, or seen symptoms of this. But we know even in the church, because uh, in, in some of the visible areas where people can make commitments, we, we know if, if there are not commitments taking place, then it's an indication that probably in those more private areas as well, probably commitments are a struggle there as well. So when we don't see commitments of faith, I'm for the Lord, I put my trust in him. Don't see commitments of baptism, I I, I declare my faith in the Lord. They Don't see commitments of membership, that I, I commit not only to the Lord, but to the Lord's family. I don't see commitments in membership and or serving or giving. Th- those are some visible areas where, where you'd say, if, if there aren't commitments being made in those areas, then likely some of the more private and, and frankly, more difficult areas, the more private areas of our life where you and I know that in order to respond to the Lord, we need to make commitments in those heart areas of our lives, but nobody sees those commitments. Nobody is there to, to encourage us and to urge us and to, to confront us about those places in our hearts that nobody sees. I wonder if you're one of those people that makes commitments to the Lord, who says, I am on the Lord's side, and not just in the abstract, but in the particular, in the details where God has made his will clear, where he, he has revealed himself. Or, like Srey Mom, maybe you're, maybe you're here this morning saying, I like the idea of freedom. I, I like the idea of the Christian life. It sounds wonderful. But in your heart, you recognize, I never seem to end up there. At least not fully in there, because there's this thing that, if I'm honest, holds me back from it. If it's difficult for you to make a clear break, you need to hear from the word that God urges all of us to do so. In Joshua 24, 15, Joshua called on the people to decide. It's interesting, I want you to know what he says here. He says, If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. this It's easy to jump to the last phrase, and I'm going to read it, but hear what he has said already. He is saying, I think, that it would actually be better for you to make a decision that you are gonna serve the false gods of the Amorites and the Canaanites uh, to, to give yourselves to them and say, I'm, I'm done with the Lord and I'm, I'm gonna just go in with, with the false gods. It would be better for you to decide that than to just hover in this place where you straddle the fence and you don't ever clearly make a decision one way or the other. Either, either for the Lord or against the Lord but just not, just not that, that place of, of in-between non-commitment. I think the reason that he says that it would actually be better, and he doesn't, he doesn't really believe it would be better than serving the Lord, but better than, than hovering in that place of non-commitment, because when you're in that place of non-commitment where you're straddling the fence, and at least you've got one toe in, the, in, in that thing close to the Christian life, you get the impression that you're safe, you're okay, you're, you're kind of there. Whereas you may very not well not be. But if you are clearly out, clearly I have rejected that, then you can, you, you, you can feel the conviction that this is wrong and what I have done is in rejecting God is something that I know he will deal with and that could be the thing that leads you to the repentance. So he says, get off the fence, make a clear decision. And after saying that, recognizing, not, not knowing how the nation will respond, knowing their history of turning their backs on the Lord, that he could put this decision before them and they could all turn and walk away. He says, even still, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He says, I am clear which side of this, which side of this line I will stand on. And it may just be me and my family. I don't care what the rest of... of of the people of God uh, do or decide, he says, I, I, I've made my decision. I am clear in my commitment and my family is clear in this conviction. We will serve the Lord, but I urge you to decide. And, and, and it was a similar uh, choice that the people under Josiah were faced with. And it's a similar choice that any time people gathered to hear God's word are forced to make. Will I just hear and enjoy the sound of the words, or will I respond and make the commitments that God's word would call of us? As we are faced with that decision, we do so with a recognition it's not just our life that's at stake. Our commitments influence the co- commitments of others. Our non-commitments, the commitments that we don't make, influence the complacency of others. What, what I love about Josiah in this chapter is that he had already been told at the end of chapter 22 that he would go to his grave in peace. He had already been given assurance that, that, that God would be gracious to him and that he, he had already felt the, the goodness and love and mercy of the Lord. And he knew that he was okay. And he could have very well just said, I'm kind of in the clear. I can just kind of coast now. It doesn't really matter. Like, I don't really have to go all in and full out. I I could just kind of go through the motions. I've already got promises and assurances from the Lord. He could have done that. But he knew that even if his life was safe and secure, he knew that the decisions that he made would influence the decisions of others. He knew that the nation was at stake. And so he gathered the leaders, and verse 3 ends with the words, and all the people joined in the covenant. Of course, his conviction and clear decision to follow the Lord affected the lives of those who looked up to him. Of course it did. And you and I know that when, when we make decisions, when we make clear stands to serve the Lord, it influences those who are watching. We've seen this, not, not, only, not only have you seen this in, in your life personally, probably most of you who are here this morning, you're here because you have seen clear conviction, a clear we will serve the Lord kind of heart attitude in the life of someone that's been clear near to you. And, and it, it's done something in your heart. Similarly though, the, the, that non-decision thing kind of breeds complacency, right? If you see in people close to you long enough just hearing and hearing and hearing and never responding, it kind of breeds a, I don't think I really need to take this too seriously kind of heart in all of us, right? And so when we are faced with decisions and we we, we see scripture calling us to commitment, it's with a recognition that that the way that I respond to the word of God influences the lives and the decisions of the people that are close to me. Howard Hendricks tells the story of a man in his congregation who was full of regret. He, he, in his own words, he had put his money on a dead horse. Uh, He had given his life to things, and in retrospect, he said, "I, I, I just poured my energy. I gave my heart and my soul to things that That were useless That didn't matter that that weren't for my good or for my benefit and guess what people were watching in in his case he lost one child to prostitution two to drugs and one to crime and hendrick said if i were to sit down with that man today and say if i could if i can guarantee you your four kids back if you'll just cut off your right arm he would take out a knife and he'd say where do i cut Because he had come through deep loss and regret to recognize, doesn't matter what it takes, I will give myself whatever God asks. And obviously God didn't want him to cut off his right arm. We're not talking about that. But he had come to that place of commitment to recognize whatever the Lord asks of him is whatever is best for him. But the problem is, too many people come to that point too late. After too much loss, too much regret, and too much damage. And so the encouragement of the word of God is to respond while God speaks, while God gives us those invitations, while he graciously calls us to freedom. So don't straddle the fence. Choose a side between faithfulness and compromise. When you choose a side and make a commitment, the next thing that you do is absolutely crucial. the next thing we need to do is deal with the things that open the door to compromise. Because if we don't put rails around our commitments, what ends up happening is that those commitments just die as good intentions. We need to deal with the things that open the door to compromise. Now we saw how Josiah had led the nation in committing themselves to God, but I want you to notice what happens the very next thing after he leads them in that covenant. In verse 4, the very next thing he does is burn all of the idols that will lead the people away from the true God. What he does is have the priests actually go through the entire temple and go collect all of the things, all of the idols, all of the the vessels and the things that would have been used in the worship of these foreign gods. And as he came across them, you can only imagine that some of them, like the temptation might have been to say, boy, there's an awful lot of gold in this. Surely we could reuse this somehow. He'd come across other things and say, boy, the craftsmanship on this is incredible. Like, couldn't we find some way to use this and maybe we'll just put a different name on it? Or like, we we could use this in the worship of the true God. And yet he doesn't do that. Instead, he takes those things and he burns them, he, he takes the ashes. At one point, he, he, he takes the ashes and spreads them over graves so that they would be desecrated and associated, that nothing associated with death is ever going to be used in worship again. He completely closes the door to temptation and further compromise. And so often, this is a step that we, we miss. It, it's the... the Following our convictions and our commitments with decisions that will cut off the door, that will burn bridges to to sin and temptation in our lives. Josiah goes even further though. In verse 8, you see him then breaking down the high places. These were places of uh, false worship. And once he's demolished them, he defiles them so they won't be rebuilt again. By verse 10, he's desecrating an altar that was used by the, alt, by, used by the Israelites for child sacrifices. And it would have been, uh, it, it would have been altar, that locally it would have had its fans. They would have had legends and people would, would have put their trust in, in these things and they would have personal history with them. And so bringing these things down and and demolishing them would have been for many largely unpopular, met with great resistance. And yet he knew that something that had inspired such evil, if it wasn't completely rooted out, would continue to lead people back into sin, would continue to lead them in compromise. Some of these reforms would have been inconvenient. Some would have been unpopular. Some of them would have been, though, personally costly to Josiah. You get down to the uh, to verse 11, and there's this talk of of these horses and chariots and and coming from Egypt. Maybe, maybe you were you were reading through there and thinking, well, what what what's all all that about the the horses and chariot stuff? First of all, a a horse-drawn chariot was like the the tank of an ancient military. It was their their strength. It was the thing that inflicted the most damage, the fastest, and and was Really the the deciding factor in, in many battles. But where most people got their their horses in those days was from Egypt. They would have imported them from Egypt. But when the kings and and the kings prior to the time of Josiah imported those, those horses and brought in those chariots, they would have been told the horse is good and the chariot's fine, but its real power comes from our sun God. So, what we would recommend you to do is not only to take these these horses and chariots and we're happy to sell them to, but you need to dedicate them to the sun God and put your trust in the the sun God and with his power and his strength then you'll really be able to do business in battle they They've found artifacts where uh, they uh, they'll have uh, pictures of these horses and they have these little Solar discs uh, on their foreheads uh, reflecting their their devotion and their consecration to uh, the gods of the sun and it would have been, would have been so easy for Josiah to say, "Why we need to make some changes here, but hey, these are good chariots, and these are really expensive horses. maybe we 'll just take those solar discs off maybe we 'll just paint like to the Lord now somewhere on the side of the horse or maybe we can redo the decoration so there's not like all that stuff to the maybe there's some way we can work it out but Josiah doesn't do that he takes the horses withdraws them from service says we don't need them that badly that we need to compromise for their sake he takes the chariots again precious military protection and he has them burned And he says, our trust will be in the Lord. It's not going to be in the horses. It's not going to be in the chariots. We will take drastic measures to cut off opportunities for compromise, to deal with those things that would otherwise lead us away from the true God. And so I wonder, what are some of the things that open the door to compromise in your life? What are those things, when you hear that call to freedom that stand as an obstacle. You're not always conscious of it. You're not always thinking of it. But as you seek to move forward, if you're honest with yourself, there's something that continues to hold you back. It it could be a a habit. It could be be a, a tradition. It could be even something, maybe it's good, but it just keeps getting in the way. just keeps causing you to stumble. They say that every time you say yes to say something, you say no to something else. But what happens often is that people in saying yes to Jesus never really think through what are some of the no's that need to accompany that yes. And am I really willing to say yes with the recognition that there's some things I'm going to have to say no to. There's some things that kind of are going to get in the way of this thing. Because if we don't do that, the yes actually becomes a maybe. A, a yes without those accompanying no's is really just a maybe. It's kind of. It's, it's when, when it's convenient. And so the, the, the scriptures call us to, to take that maybe and to turn it into a yes. But a yes that's accompanied with some corresponding no's. To shut the door, to compromise in our life and the things that would get in the way. Now, as you go through and and do an inventory, and I'd encourage you to do that, to look for habits or patterns or things that get in the way, as you go through and do that inventory, you may find what Josiah found, that some of the things that open the door to compromise in your life actually aren't things, they're people. And people are more complicated than things, right? People require more discernment and wisdom and care and sensitivity than, than things. But we still need to deal with, and we still need to deal with the people that open the door to compromise in our lives. You might have thought that Josiah had already done all that he needed to do. He's he's gone the extra mile. He has shut the door to compromise. You would think that his job was done. But Josiah knew that it wasn't enough. As long as the leaders who were influencing the people still existed, still were in their positions, didn't matter how many altars you brought down, how many idols you destroyed, they would inspire the people to make new ones. And so in verse 5, Josiah deposes the priests who were serving at the high places. He fires the religious leaders, takes them out out of their positions. Similarly, there are people in your life, people in my life we need to unfollow. Uh, we need to remove their influence, their, their control in our lives. Uh, and that might mean different things in different cases. So for some people, it, it may mean the decision to say, I am not going to continue following where you keep leading. I, I'm going to purpose in my heart that you will, never, you will no longer lead me in that direction that you keep wanting to lead me. I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm drawing that line uh, for some of you, you might realize it's not just people, the people that are leading you in the wrong direction. You don't have enough people in your life that are leading you in the right direction. You haven't invested in the kinds of relationships where when you are faced with that temptation to compromise, that you're going to have people that will encourage you, no, don't go, don't go down that path. Don't go back there. People who will pray for you encourage you to keep taking steps forward. That, that's what fellowship is for. That's why we need each other. We can't do it alone. We need help, people that are influencing us in the right ways. For most of us, there are probably people in our media consumption that we need to unfollow. It doesn't matter whether that is television or YouTube or Instagram or whatever it might be, but all of us are exposed to media in all kinds of different forms, and if we're honest with ourselves, often the media that we are choosing to consume day by day, some of it is getting in the way. Some of it makes that yes to Jesus a maybe and often a no b- because it keeps leading us in paths and directions. It makes obedience difficult. It makes trusting the Lord difficult. And, and And so, yeah, there are some channels. There are some... Uh, there, there are some people that you need to unfollow. You need to deal with those things that keep us, from, uh, keep us from obedience, that lead us to compromise. Now, we don't know everything Josiah did. We just have this brief summary. You could read down at the, ne- the end of the chapter. There's some repetition. There's some, But basically, we just have a summary. But it is not surprising to me in this brief summary of these incredible far-reaching reforms That we have him touch on something that had to come up in the midst of uh, true reform. He deals with sexual compromise. In verse 7, it says, And he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the Asherah. Can you imagine that there were actually male prostitutes serving in the temple in Jerusalem? This is where it had come to. But I want you to notice how Josiah deals with him. He doesn't just say, everybody, stop going there. He doesn't just say, don't do that anymore. That's never the biblical solution. He brings down the house. He removes, he eliminates the room for the sexual compromise. He, and here, he breaks down the houses. And we're called to do the same kind of thing in our own lives. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Again, note, he doesn't just say, don't do it. He doesn't just say, try harder not to. The message is run in the other direction as fast as you can. Flee from it. Get away from it. Remove the opportunity. Shut the door to compromise. And it is that challenge to us. Now, I started this morning telling you about a New York Times reporter who paid a few hundred dollars to set two young women free. But that wasn't a very good illustration. It wasn't a very good illustration because what we're talking about is profoundly different than that. Because in order to set us free, the Son of God gave everything. Didn't give a little bit of his money. He gave his life. He paid for our freedom by his death. And that makes commitment to him different than every other commitment you've ever made in your life. Maybe you're here this morning saying, Paul, I'm just not very good at commitments. Like, you should see me trying to do a diet. Like, I'm, just, I'm done for after like 48 hours. I, I'm not good at commitments. I don't do them very well. And what I'm telling you this morning is this commitment to the Lord is different than all of those other commitments. This commitment is different because it is fueled by the love of God for us. The scriptures say we love because he first loved us. He take, took the first step. He first committed himself to us, and so our response is natural. It's fueled by gratitude. It's fueled by love for what he has done for us already. And so it's different than our other commitments. When we choose a side between faithfulness and compromise, we know that it's not a choice that we do on our own. He's there on the Lord's side. He is the Lord's side. He's the one who guides us in that, who helps us in that, and strengthens us in that. And so when we commit to him, we do so with his help and his strength. Now, getting off the fence and choosing a side for Jesus may mean different things for different people. For, for some of you, it may mean moving from kind of faith to all-in faith. To to clearly putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Giving yourself to him. I am on the Lord's side. Some of you, maybe that's where you're at. Maybe that's the the commitment that you need to make. In in the New Testament, every time people are called to make that decision, the way that they respond to that, the way they express that commitment is through baptism. It is a a declaration, I am on the Lord's side because of what he has done for me. Maybe that's a commitment that you need to make. Maybe you've made a commitment clearly to the Lord. Clearly you've committed yourself to God. You just haven't committed yourself to God's family. Haven't committed yourself to the family of God. Haven't dealt with that area of church membership. And in one sense, church membership is just a formality, like, like a wedding ceremony for a couple. It's just a formality in one sense, but in another sense, it's a lot more than a formality. It's a lot more than a piece of paper. It, it is formalizing a commitment. And, and something like church membership does that in our relationship with the family of God. Other people, maybe you need to make commitments in serving or giving. Maybe you realize you've just been receiving and you haven't really given back. And, and you know that's not the Christian life. You, you know that we, we respond to the grace of God in our lives. For stray mom, it was a $55 cell phone that almost kept her from freedom. And I don't know what might hold you back from commitment in your life. I don't know what commitment that God might be calling you this morning to make in your life. What I do know and what I can tell you is whatever that thing is, it's not worth it. Compared to the infinite grace of an infinitely loving God, whatever it is that would hold you back in compromise, is worthless in comparison. And so we choose a side. We say in our heart, not to earn God's pleasure, not to, not to try and make points, but in response to the incredible love and mercy of a God who calls us into freedom, we respond and say, I'm on the Lord's side. We give ourselves to him. And we give ourselves in the specifics of the commitments that he leads us in. Knowing that as we do, he gives us strength to make those commitments. He helps us when we fall down and break our commitments and get back up and continue walking in that direction that he's called us to. Let's look to a minute in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great grace. Thank you that you paid to purchase our freedom would you help us this morning to get off the fence help us to break through of our fear of commitment help us to take bold steps that would honor you and ultimately protect us send us revival lord would you help us to see the things in our lives that prop open the door to compromise help us to see them through your eyes Would you give us the courage to put them behind us? And would you reassure us that you'll be there to steady us as we do? For we ask you in Jesus' name.